Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Afternoon Pancakes. This is Jared here with Stampede Blue, and this is episode 13. Now, today I'll be flying solo. Uh, Stephen Reed is out of the office and unable to meet today. Uh, So this week, the Colts won in their home opener, uh, hosted the Atlanta Falcons. Final score, Colts 27 Falcons 24. Game ball goes to Jacoby Brissett. Uh, this was sort of a a coming out game for him uh, for the season. Uh, season high in attempts, completions, yards. Had two touchdowns, no interceptions. Was only sacked one time. Uh, arguably uh, his best game uh, of the year. Started the game 16 for 16. And then, interestingly enough, the other major reason the Colts won this game outside of the outstanding play of Jacoby Brissett is that the Atlanta Falcons committed 16 penalties, or, from our perspective, the Colts goaded the Atlanta defense into several penalties that changed the outcome of the game and tested Atlanta on their discipline, primarily at the line of scrimmage, uh, but really uh, everything went about as a, about as well as it could have gone given the scenario. We knew coming into the game that Matt Ryan is a premier passer in the NFL, and he had himself a day as well, right? 29 of 34, 304 yards, three touchdowns, and an, inter- inter- and an interception. Excuse me. And it wasn't for not it wasn't that this was probably one of the more competitive football games that you'll see all year uh, on both sides of the ball in terms of it just being a well contested football game. Now, obviously, it didn't look like it in the first half, but if you've watched the NFL at all, no lead is safe, and that's one of the things that we've started to you've started to hear come out of you know Stampede Blue Colts fans. Uh, here, in, here in re- recently anyway, is that, you know, I'm not I'm not comfortable with letting off the gas pedal and playing a prevent defense and just trying to uh, eke out a win. Um, however, comma, I will say that Atlanta's offense came alive in the second half. Uh, Colts only had the ball for three plays in the third quarter, but ultimately did exactly what they have done now three weeks in a row, which is score touchdown in the fourth quarter. Uh, in a drive that matters. And then additionally, two out of the three weeks, the Colts ended the game with the ball, which is what you want to do uh, on the swing pass to Jack Doyle. Uh, for the record, uh, you're going to start seeing the Colts' offensive uh, play design get touted a lot more. Um, we've seen what we call a pick play or a rub uh, in the NFL in the last decade or so, uh, made pretty famous um, by the New England Patriots and, and the Indianapolis Colts, both run a, a rub play. You just remember Reggie Wayne all day, uh, just like you can remember Juli- Julian Edelman and Gronk all day. Uh, so that rub play, they've been running forever. <clears throat> and the RPO is the new hotness. And for the record, the Colts run it. Um, the Falcons ran it. Almost every team in the NFL is going to start running the RPO just because it keeps defenses in check. It forces them to put at least seven players in the box and play man up on the outside or play some kind of zone defense. Uh, 
from my perspective, I was at the game, uh, sat in the 400s, um, about 45 degree angle, visitor's side, so if you want to know where I was. Um, got tickets from a buddy of mine <clears throat> that had never been to a Colts game. I'd lived here for a few years, and I said this ought to be a really good game, and I think the Colts will actually win. So it's always good to go to a game, and it's not a blowout one way or the other, right? And then additionally, it, it was a good game. I felt like the Colts were going to win going into the game. I predicted that they would win. I bet that they would win. Uh, and then when the game was actually underway, and as I kind of predicted, the Colts kind of picked apart, or, you know, Jacoby Brissett uh, and Frank Reich had a great game plan and just picked apart the Atlanta defense in the first half and just kept the ball, um, the time of possession uh, difference in the first half um, wasn't nearly as lopsided in the second, right? So in the second half, Atlanta had the ball quite a bit, but the Colts, again, had, had the ball when it mattered in the fourth quarter and produced a touchdown with Jacoby Reset in his first year. And it seems like last year now that Andrew Luck left uh, the NFL and football and the Colts. Uh, and we've come to understand that he still watches the games on Sundays and he talks to uh, T.Y. Hilton every week. So we certainly wish him well. Um, you know, he's a newlywed and he's about to be a dad. So I'm sure he's probably got his hands full. In terms of what happened on the field, Marlon Mack continued to show that he is indeed RB1. 16 carries, 74 yards, and a touch. Um, T.Y. Hilton, eight, 8 catches on 10 targets uh, for 65 yards and a touchdown. Um, had some injuries uh, this game, of course, as you will have. Uh, T.Y. Hilton came up with a quad injury that seems to be a, a reoccurring injury for him. Uh, he will be a game-time decision, from what I understand, uh, here in week four at home against the Raiders. Uh, but I expect it'll play. He absolutely said, you know, if it's coach's decision, and you know that if you're Frank Reich and T.Y. Hilton's in a uniform on the sideline and ready to play a football game, you're probably going to let him play. However, it was good to see uh, the Colts get nine different receivers involved in the offense. Um, Zach Pascal's quarter touchdown. Um, and really, you're starting to see Paris Campbell to get a little more um, consistent looks. Uh, so he had three targets this week, up from two and two. In uh, the first couple of games, he had a couple. Uh, now, now he's starting to see a little bit better, tar bigger target share. Uh, so we're, we'll certainly see. Uh, really, I thought that there were some interesting um, factors in this game that led to its outcome, uh, and. One, I'll talk about a player, and then I'll talk about a play, right? So I think it's interesting that when Atlanta wins, it's because um, guys like Calvin Ridley score or may have a big uh, day, and they didn't. Uh, if you just go by the numbers, Julio Jones had himself a day, and Mohamed Sanu felt like he was everywhere, right? Um, but that's because the Colts left the middle of the field wide open to keep the ball in bounds and was giving away completions um, just to keep the clock running. When you're up and your opponent has the football, you get to dictate um, how that pass, how you're going to control the game. So you saw what the Colts were able to do for the majority of the game is to dictate uh, down and distance uh, by checking Atlanta's discipline level. Uh, pretty consistently and getting away and getting away with it, right? Got plenty of offsides, um, pl plenty of just just penalties. 16 penalties. I think the Colts had four uh, at home, and of course that disparity is there. You always get a home field advantage, but in this game they were offsides, penalties, uh, neutral zone infraction penalties. These are all discipline checks, um, and that's kind of what happens when you come into Indianapolis. The home the home crowds wild and loud. Um, even up where we were uh, in the 400s. So really, from my perspective, with the way the game started, you know, when it's, I mean, it was 20 to 3 at halftime, right? My brain defaults to, oh, the overall odds of a 17-point comeback. That's a three-score a three comeback at, on the road. The odds are so low that my brain gave up for Atlanta, right? At, at halftime, I was kind of like, well, 
Atlanta's going to have to air it out. The Colts are going to have to continue to play the same style of defense. They're just going to have to back the safeties up because Atlanta's going to have to throw the ball down the field and try to score and score quickly because they need to do it multiple times, right? Um, and that's that's why uh, the Colts' defense, again, that bend-don't-break uh, cover two that we're playing, you wish they'd change it up, play more man, more exotic blitzes, more scheming, but the Colts play a pretty straight-up-and-down game. They're well-disciplined enough to not create bad field position situations for themselves and not put themselves in bad down-and-distance situations on offense. And then occasionally with your pass rush and how they attack the runner and they attack the um, ball carrier, anytime the ball gets handed off behind the line of scrimmage, the objective is to get a negative play if you're on the Colts' defense, right? And you watch the Colts when they win football games, right? So every week we're going to talk about how how do you win football games when you can't stop the opposing offense, for example. The way you win the game is run the ball, right? So we noticed this week we passed uh, a little more heavily, uh, but that's because Atlanta sold out to stop the run. Jacoby Brissett goes to the line of scrimmage and sees a 4-4 defense, a single high safety and man on the outside. The middle of the field's wide open, tight ends are wide open, everybody's getting involved, right? The the duo, the dynamic duo, Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle, uh, had eight of 37 targets, which was a little less than a quarter of the targets combined, and I think that target share should go up. Those guys are so frequently open, hard to bring down, and basically guaranteed for a first down, right? And they're certainly exciting when they're involved in your offense. Um, but I, I always try to think about what, what's probably likely. Maybe we'll see a little less of T.Y. Hilton and a little more uh, of the supporting cast this week. Um, noticeably, from my perspective anyway, <clears throat> Jordan Wilkins uh, saw a little less uh, play this week than he did, had in the past. Maybe that's injury-related. And then Naheem Hines saw an increase in usage. Uh, so that's certainly something to watch. If you're a fantasy football fan, if you bet on sports, I'll, I'll try to touch all parts, uh, when I, especially when I'm talking alone, right? Because I just don't get many opportunities to sit here and, and cycle babble with you, right? So the Colts get a big home win in their opener. They showed that the, you know, this offense is not entirely predicated on whether or not Marlon Mack in the running game go, goes crazy, although it's going to, right? I've If you've seen the content I create, videos I put out, I've said that the Colts offensive line is simply inevitable and that eventually they'll just get over on you and it will end the game. Whether that's great pass protection, which I feel like the Colts have provided above average, you know, highly above average pass protection. Um, here's a couple weeks in a row uh, where I felt like Jacoby Brissett got the ball out of his hands really quickly and didn't hold on to it too long, which is you know, the farther the Colts get into the season, the more they're going to refine their game plan. So things like this should change week to week, right? You would expect uh, if the complaint from the layman is it looks like Jacoby holds onto the ball too long, you can bet the guys whose entire livelihoods are staked on their ability to point things out like that and make those corrections, uh, they know that too. Uh, so I noticed as the season's progressed, and I get it, we're three games in, um, so it's a little early to be calling uh, Jacoby Brissett um, a, a perfect replacement for Andrew Luck. But I will tell you, uh, having watched a whole bunch of football, that right now Jacoby Brissett is sixth in the NFL in uh, quarterback rating. Uh, had a big week last week, but has played all three of his games against top 12 pass defenses. The Chargers, the Titans... And now the the Atlanta pass, or well, not maybe not pass defenses, but total defenses. So the rea the reality of this early, um, what I would call the offense has been kind of timid, uh, has been pretty good, but not great, right? There, I believe the Colts are like 12th in total offense. Uh, they're a pretty balanced attack. They've got a lot of weapons. Um, but Jacoby Brissett right now has roughly about the same rating that Andrew Luck did last year. Um, and if it, the trend continues, I mean, you're looking at a guy that gets sacked about 20 times, throws 
you know, 35 touchdowns, five interceptions, and 3,500 yards. I mean, that's that's an all-pro uh, just about every day of the week. So, uh, if you again, if you follow the content that I produce, you'll know that you'll know that I bet on the Colts after. Andrew Luck got injured, and the odds went crazy. I bet on the Colts to win their division, not just because of Jacoby Brissett, but because of Frank Reich and Chris Ballard and the players around Jacoby Brissett are such a better on average than most most of the teams in the NFL are not this good. Um, so I think Jacoby Brissett stepped into a gift situation where... All of the problems that you saw towards the, the what we would call like the middle end of Andrew Luck and Jacoby's uh, one year as a starter here in the NFL prior, is that without great offensive line play, uh, quarterbacks aren't really able to do much. And I want to remind everyone that regardless of how bad you feel Jacoby Brissett played uh, in, what was that, 2016? 2017 sorry uh regardless how bad you think he looked um he actually completed like 58.8 percent of his passes which 60 percent is like ideal uh that'll help get you to uh be a permanent starter in the nfl but with how many times he was hit and how many times he was sacked and how poor the protection was the coaching was the staff was uh I, i feel like it's pretty easy to say uh, that that's something that you can just kind of bury and say that there isn't enough correlative data to even compare 2019 Jacoby Brissett to 2017 Jacoby Brissett. Um, the staff, the offense, the franchise are in an entirely different place than they were the year Andrew uh, sat out. Um, so from my perspective, uh, when I when I go and I look at what's about to happen in a football game, you can go, you know, most people look at the record and say, okay, for example, both the, when an 0-3, 0-3 team plays a 3-0 team, you just expect the 3-0 team will win, and that team that goes 0-4 is drafting real high next year. Uh, this year it looks to be... Um, Miami, uh, I think Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are in the tank department. Um, can't figure Cincinnati out, for example. Uh, but there are a lot of teams in the NFL that are already just out of it. They just don't have it. There's several starting quarterbacks in the NFL that are that are injured. Uh, there's several quarterbacks in the NFL that have questionable protection. There are several quarterbacks in the NFL that have questionable weapons. And I think Jacoby Brissett is in a gift situation, and he's rising to the occasion, uh, which is what, which is a quality of great leadership, um, and that comes that extends downward, right? It starts with guys uh, like Jim Irsay, like Chris Ballard, like Frank Reich, like this coaching staff around them, the the Sirianni's and the, you know, the Googs, like all these, all these pieces in place make up this great whole. And I love Jacoby Brissett's personality. Seems like a fun cat. Uh, always quick-witted, always with a smile on his face at the end, kind of just enjoying it and going through this. Um, and of course, this isn't what he expected. I'm sure he expected to continue to pose with the defense when they get a turnover, right? Um, and that's probably not going to ever happen again, kids. Uh, but the reality, maybe in the game. I, but now that I say that, I put my foot in my mouth, right? Um, but more, more importantly, here is this. This, this for me. Uh, you'll hear people call these games like coming of age games, um, and the data, from my perspective, just kind of pointed at the at Jacoby having a big day. Um, Atlanta's pass defense um, vaunted, uh, but and their but their rush rush defense uh, wasn't, and then the Colts rushing offense was really good and their pass their passing game hadn't even really been capitalized on yet and I felt like from my perspective from a coach's perspective you have to try to game plan against Marlon Mack he's a home run threat he's a very patient runner uh one of the best running backs in the NFL like how lucky are we um and so he's he's trouble for you because when he puts his foot in the ground he can just go take it to the house but he's also patient enough, and he also knows when to attack and be aggressive and just get get a couple extra yards, bear, you know, bury your helmet in somebody's back and go. Um, so the Colts 
because of how good their offensive line play is, they're able to have really unique running plays and really utilize these great off, uh, offensive linemen. Um, if you remember, you know, one of the highlights from this, this past game was uh, Quentin Nelson um, basically having a cornerback dive at his ankles uh, to avoid becoming a highlight. Uh, and that, that's the kind of psyche that you want uh, out of your opponent is rather than, rather than just eat it one time, uh, they'd rather just go down in a heap uh, and hope they don't get injured. Um, and, of course, you're going to continue to watch uh, guys like Quentin Nelson um, and kind of the unsung heroes, right? So they always talk about Quentin Nelson. They don't talk about Ryan. We don't talk about Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith and Glow and Anthony Costanzo enough. Um, and it's really time uh, before before they start putting banners up, kids, I think it's time, you know, as fans, if you're going to invest uh, in a jersey, get an offensive lineman's jersey, get a defensive lineman's jersey, because these are the anchors on the on the team. The, the Colts are doing exactly what they told you they were going to do. They're going to build their team from the inside out. They're going to focus on the trenches. They're going to win that. They're going to win that first. Uh, and then they're going to focus on those things around them. And you got to realize, uh, Jacoby Brissett was 28 for 37 with basically neither his first or second wide receiver. Right? Devin Funch is out for the year. Uh, T.Y. Hilton banged up. Uh, they're even without Reese Fountain. So missing three wide receivers, Jacoby Brissett throws for 310 yards on 37 attempts. Um, and... You know, from my perspective, he outplayed Matt Ryan in the first half by such a wide margin that regardless of Matt Ryan's second half, I still think Jacoby just had a better game. Uh, and that, of course, you can debate, but the dub's the only thing that matters, right? Um, so if we look around, I was kind of looking around the rest of the... Um, AFC South. So on our podcast, what we try to do in order every week is first we talk about last week, and then we talk about what else happened in the AFC South, right? And then we're going to talk about next week, okay? So if we take a look around, on Thursday night uh, last week, the Jaguars got a big win at home against the Titans. Uh, 20 to 7, uh, and what I what I would characterize as an upset going into it, I think that once teams get uh, some more tape on Gardner Minshew, uh, they'll realize that he is a real deal NFL starter, and what a hidden gem uh, on someone's bench somewhere. Um, as long as Gardner Minshew is protected uh, and Leonard Fournette presents a pretty good challenge. He's a He's a pretty good runner of the football. I wouldn't say he... I'd say Milo Mack's the best running back uh, in the division by a wide margin. And then I would group, like, Frenette and Henry kind of together. Although Derrick Henry's having a heck of a season for the Titans, right? Um, but really, the Jags are doing just enough to be watchable. Gardner Minshew is doing just enough... And they get a big win. And then I, I project uh, the Jaguars for the record this week. I have the Jaguars winning on the road uh, in Denver. So, again, I produce content regarding... Uh, I do a weekly podcast about the Colts themselves. Uh, I do a weekly betting piece because sports betting is legal in Indiana and there needs to be somebody out here serving a warning to everyone else that, hey, if you're going to do it, you got to do a lot of research and spend a lot of time on football like I do, right? Otherwise, you're just wasting your money. And then uh, what I'll also do is I'll, I'll just tell you what I see. I think the Jaguars are kind of on an upswing. I feel like Gardner Minshew is the real deal. And I think they're going to go into Denver and get a big road win after they beat the Tennessee Titans at home 20-7. And then also last week, um, the Texans got a big road win, 27-20 uh, over the Chargers. Uh, 
Uh, Deshaun Watson had a monster day. Uh, the Texas Texans defense looks like they corralled Austin Eckler, which is what the Colts weren't able to do, right? Um, and really, I'm really excited for the Texans-Colts series this year. Uh, I have all of the respect in the world for the Houston Texans. Uh, I wish they'd have done a little more uh, for Deshaun Watson in terms of offensive line play and personnel. But I feel like I've been saying that my entire life. Especially if I'm a Houston fan, and if I wasn't a Colts fan, I'd be a Houston fan. Um, you got to protect your quarterback. You got to, if you have a bad offensive line, you got to change your game plan to get the ball out of his hands, so you can keep him upright, healthier, longer, and not require him to just continue to be a better athlete every single play when you basically are getting bared down on by Olympians, right? So this past week, the Colts. The Jags and the Texans were all winners, obviously, in a division game. Somebody's got to lose, right? So Tennessee on a downswing, um, getting kind of ha- housed on the road, right? Now, looking into this week, here we are week four, right? Going into the bye week, there are 15 games. So remember, if you're just an NFL fan popping in for the listen, uh, the rest of us get really lucky that the Jets and 49ers are on bye this week. Right, and the Colts two and one, one and zero at home. Play the one and two Oakland Raiders. Now at this point, Derek Carr seventy-two for ninety-eight for six hundred and ninety-nine yards, four touchdowns, three interceptions. This tells me the Colts defense is going to get an interception this week. Jacoby Reset, 66 for 92 for 646 yards, seven touchdowns and one interception. And I think I can reliably say, based on data, that if I look at passing defense, the Raiders are 24th. And then, hold on, I'll tell you. They're 24th. Uh, in total passing defense, and they're 31st in interception percentage. So I can say, based on data, that I think Derek Carr throws an interception. I feel like Jacoby Brissett does not. And then what I do from there is I look at like total defense. Colts are supposed like ranked 20th uh, in the NFL right now. Uh, but the Raiders are 24th, and this is the worst defense of the first four teams the Colts will will face. And I feel like uh, the Colts' offense, albeit no Devin Funches, no uh, potentially no T.Y. Hilton or or limited T.Y. or a full go T.Y. and it's a full throttle day, right? Uh, I really feel like uh, the Colts could win this game based on uh, whoever shows up on Sunday. Strictly from a scheme perspective uh, and just over overall talent level, uh, based on data, um, I feel like the Colts are a good bet to win at home. Um, the question for me, of course, is the Colts and Raiders are similarly 19th and 20th uh, in rush yards allowed a game. Uh, in the NFL, which again, Colts have gone 18 weeks, I believe now, without allowing a 100-yard rusher. I feel like they have a chance, a pretty good chance, to continue that streak as Josh Jacobs, the rookie Oakland running back, has 45 carries for 228 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, On the other hand, uh, Marlon Mack, 61 carries, 299 yards, two touchdowns. Um, so I don't know that either running back would score a touchdown, uh, but then I'll go look at rush defense and I look at touchdowns against, and I see that the Raiders are probably Raiders are, hold on, I can't find the Raiders, 22nd, um, and the Colts are 12th. So similarly in terms of yards a game given up on the run on the run, Colts give up 114, Raiders give up 112. So similarly, 
I feel like the Colts are having a down year defensively, and I have a feeling that has a lot to do with guys like Jabal Sheard not being out. Uh, it has a lot to do uh, with now Malik Hooker out. So everybody knows, tore his meniscus and came back and played anyway. What a stud, and then left the stadium uh, on his own two feet uh, and happy because the Colts won and not upset because he got hurt. Uh, so we wish um, Malik Hooker a speedy recovery. Uh, as we would anyone that gets injured in any team, but specifically because they're ours, right? Uh, so because the Raiders are soft against the run, too, I have a feeling there's a, an opportunity there for the Colts uh, to just have a field day offensively. So if I had to pick a running back to score a touchdown, I would say Marlon Mack would probably score a touchdown. Now, in terms of receivers... Interestingly enough, the leading receiver for the Oakland Raiders isn't a wide receiver. It's a tight end. Uh, Darren Waller has 26 receptions for 267 yards and had 13 of those last week. Uh, so that's that's where I would look if I were the Colts this week is if you can take away Waller and limit Jacobs, uh, it, who's going to beat you? Right, that, that's how I look at. I look at the Raider offense. If you shut down Josh Jacobs, and if you limit guys like Waller or Tyrod Williams, like if you could just take one of those guys out of the game. Like remember last week, I told you know just not last week, but remember how we just talked about last week. The Colts limited Calvin Ridley to one catch for six yards. And for the record, it was for first down. I actually watched the whole game a few times to finally find Calvin Ridley's only catch. Uh, and as soon as he touched the ball, he was tackled. And then that kind of stuck with me as uh, not because I have him in fantasy. I actually stayed away from him in fantasy this year because I felt like Julio was going to have himself a big year. He just had a lot of catches and yards. He didn't have a lot of touchdowns, right? Uh, so I felt like a lot of those are going to go back Julio's way. It's just the pendulum swing. Uh, but then from uh, the Colts, the leading receiver for the Colts, 20 receptions, 195 yards, the ghost, T.Y. Hilton, uh, has four touchdowns. Is currently uh, one of the NFL leaders in touchdowns, uh, so the Colts are are utilizing their weapons effectively. Um, you know, 61 carries for 300 yards is basically five yards a carry. And when you consider that Josh Jacobs right now has 45 carries for 228 yards, that's four yards a carry. So the up to this point. The Colts' run game has been one yard better per rush. The Colts' passing game has produced three more touchdowns and turned the ball over less frequently. So I hate to be a homer, but the reality is I think like the Colts win going away. It's not it's not particularly close. And again, it just kind of depends on who suits up on Sunday as to who's going to have a big game. I would like to see Paris Campbell get a little more involved in the game. With Malik Hooker out, Colts uh, have already announced that Kari Willis is going to step in and play. And Kari Willis is a completely different kind of safety. Uh, Malik Hooker is more like a center fielder, field general, kind of talking out the defense, uh, you know, keeping a lid on the defense. Whereas um, Kari Willis is a little better uh, coming down and making a tackle uh, in space. And based on what we've seen from Oakland, this isn't actually an awful thing uh, for the Colts. Uh, John Gruden plays a uh, runs a West Coast style offense uh, that utilizes like fly sweeps uh, and a lot uh, envelops the run game quite a bit. Uh, and is kind of a more of an old school thing. They, you know, they put, you know, throw the little RPOs in and stuff like that. They're kind of, you know, staying up with the times, put a little splash play in every now and then. But the Oakland Raider offense doesn't lend itself to like having a wild imagination. One of the things you don't typically see out of the Raiders are multiple formations. They're typically in the eye. They kind of just do the same thing every time. They're really, they're not necessarily predictable. Uh, they're just. They've got a new head coach. They have had some turmoil. They have appeared to have gotten past it, right? How lucky are the Raiders to have gotten past the Antonio Brown saga? Uh, but I don't think this week is the week. Uh, I've been wrong. I'll be wrong again. But I have a feeling if Jabal Sheard's healthy, for example, 
uh, if we can just get another piece back, we're just that that much that much tougher of an out. Um, and I really look again. I always look at the interior defensive line and how how are they looking. I, I'm looking for guys like Marcus Hunt and Jabal Shear to just explode and have big games. Um, so far, uh, the Colts had been creating quite a bit of pressure, and we're doing a good job of making quarterbacks uncomfortable uh, prior to this last week. But I feel like the if you just watch the game, the Colts basically had the ball the whole first half, and then Atlanta just had it for the third quarter, and the Colts scored again when it mattered to put it out of reach. But... Because of the way the game went last week, the question mark for the Colts isn't just, what are we going to do? Malik Hooker's injured, right? Hurry back, man. We're going to miss you. It's not, what is Kari Willis going to do, right? The real question for me is, what is going to happen with the pass rush after a week when you didn't generate a bunch of pressure, you didn't register a sack, um... The Colts did play really disciplined football, but that's going to happen when you're at home and you expect that to continue. So again, that home field advantage is actually a plus factor for the Colts right now. Although they are already one of the least penalized teams in the NFL, it helps you even more when you're even better at home. And a credit to the, again, Colts fans. Uh, as someone who is at that game and try, try to go to games if I'm able, um, the Colts... Colts fans are super quiet when it's on offense. It feels like you're at the mall and everybody's just in the food court, just chilling. But when we're on defense, it's a whole different atmosphere. It feels like you're at a party, uh, which is what it should be. Uh, and, you know, it's always good to have guys like Pat McAfee on the anvil. Um, I believe the Colts are 3-0. and Anytime Pat McAfee bangs on that anvil... Is it just me, or should the anvil have, like, a longer handle? I guess it would be harder to control and probably result in an accident, and I shouldn't say anything. But I think the handle on the anvil, the hammer, is just a little small. I feel like the hammer, the hammer doesn't match the anvil, but you can't make the anvil smaller, because then people are like, what is a mushroom? Right? So, it's this weird thing where maybe they shouldn't change anything, I shouldn't say anything. But... I'd love to see that become a regular thing and the Colts bring in Pat McAfee every home game and make him bang on the anvil. Just make him do push-ups and, you know, tricep extensions just to be able to sling, sling it around. Um, but yeah, the as far as what we're looking at right now, looks like Gabe Jackson for the Raiders is doubtful to out. So it even looks like a little interior offensive-defensive line uh, issue, uh, and then of course, the, all we really know so far is Darius Leonard's coming out of concussion protocol. T.Y. Hilton is questionable. Sheard's questionable. William Jonathan Williams, running back, was questionable last week, and Malik Hooker got injured and he's out. Uh, but right now, um, I think the Colts are in a, a unique position of being relatively healthy. Uh, given, given, of course, I just said Malik Hooker, Pro Bowl safety, T.Y. Hilton, Pro Bowl wide receiver injured, Darius Leonard, Pro Bowler, you know, D-Roy, uh, injured. Um, not out for the season, though. And, and I want to make sure, Colts fans, when you, when you are talking about injuries, there's a difference between a player that misses time, occasionally, and a player that misses the rest of the season far too often. For example, and I don't even want to be specific because it's not their fault, but there are several NFL players that missed like two or more seasons, right? If I'm, unless I'm wrong, I think Carson Wentz is a guy that got injured twice, right? So it doesn't happen very often that you get hurt or out for the season and that your career continues. So a lot of people say, oh no, he's, he's injury prone, right um as far as Malik Hooker goes yeah uh he tore his meniscus he came back and played anyway right if he were if he were anyone else if you tore your meniscus you would be on your back crying you wouldn't even try to put weight on that for at least a month after surgery and you'd be real ginger but Malik Hooker is a freaking football player and tore his meniscus and finished out the game so while while I think we may have caused like permanent long-term damage, that was probably like a bad business decision. On the other hand, it's like, hey, that's toughness. And 
toughness and intelligence don't often like line up, right? You're thinking forward and thinking in the moment don't often matter. Hindsight's 2020, right? Um, but yeah, it's certainly a, a unique situation for a Pro Bowl quarterback to suddenly retire and his backup come in and perform the way Jacoby Brissett has. And I might add, has also handled himself incredibly well being thrust into the public eye after last year primarily being, and I wouldn't even call him a clipboard holder. He, he's the best male cheerleader the Colts had outside of Pat McAfee, right? To being the guy has to be such an easier transition than going from being, you know, it's obviously easier than being like a rookie starting NFL quarterback, right? How many times has a, a franchise bet at all on a kid and he goes in there and doesn't make it? And I don't even have to name names. There's so many times, for the record, friends, people that listen to our podcast, most of the time when your Pro Bowl quarterback suddenly retires or gets injured, the guy that steps in behind him isn't great. I hate to say it, but a lot of times it's a guy like Brian Hoyer, no offense, or Jeff Garcia, right? Or Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? Or there is a litany of quarterbacks in the NFL that are replacement-level quarterbacks. Meaning, if you have this guy on your staff and he's your starter right now, you're good. You're drafting a quarterback. You have to get better than that. Um, and that's no disrespect to guys like Brian Hoyer, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who got their got their shot, right? Um, it's it's more that there are guys that have jobs in the NFL that I think could be out of a job and quick. And I think one of those guys is Derek Carr. In my pers- in my personal perception, and I've said this since John Gruden was hired, that this will be Derek Carr's last year as a Raider. He, at this point, has proven that right. And that was before we even played him. I was just like, man, Derek Carr, new, another new system, another new head coach. Um, he can do it all. I just don't think he's going to do it here. I think John Gruden's going to want to go his own man, uh, get his own guy. Uh, at this point, he's, he, like I said, four touchdowns, three interceptions. And if you think about how Jacoby Brissett has seven touchdowns and a pick, right? Seven touchdowns, one interception, while... While uh, Derek Carr's got four touchdowns and three interceptions, you think about how much more likely it is that Derek Carr turns the ball over. And that, that's for me, is my one of the things that I look at when I try to figure out who I think is going to win a football game. I look at how many, um, like how many sacks did they give up last week? How's their offensive line play been? And then I look at how many sacks did they have on defense? Like how effective is their pass rush? Then I look at turnovers. So you, the the data tells you that you know the numbers tell you what happened, right? So you'll see like, oh, team wins by touchdown, but the opposing team had an interception, a fumble, you know what I mean, and, and like a, a a a muffed punt, right, and turn the ball over, uh, and then lose by seven. So from what it's been fun to watch so far with the Colts is the idea that it's not a one-man show. And it wasn't when when Andrew Luck was here either. For the record, Andrew Luck liked to spread the ball around. He had a wonderful connection with T.Y. that felt otherworldly at times. But you've even kind of noticed that spark with Jacoby Brissett. So I think it's T.Y. Hilton, right? And I, again, I'm not trying to put Andrew Luck down, dude. I love Andrew Luck, man. But he he's gone now. And it's really awesome to have Jacoby step in and me me personally, I this is a me-I statement, right? I haven't noticed a big drop-off in the quality of quarterback play, right? If you think about Andrew Luck's start of his 2018 season, it was pretty rocky because Marlon Mack and Anthony Costanzo were out. And that that, for me, is probably why 
that was probably a big contributing factor for Andrew Luck is that his health and well-being was tied to the health of his offensive line and his weapons. And no matter how good you are at football, if you're missing your your left tackle and your starting running back, it doesn't matter how good you are at quarterback. You're not going to you're going to struggle in those games. You can't run. They're going to every pass play, everybody looks covered. That, you know, and you think about Last, I mean, think about how crazy a recall that is, by the way. Last year, Jack Doyle drops that pass to Cincinnati. Why? Because they had stopped the run. The Colts were forced to pass. There was a guy on Jack, and as soon as he caught the ball, he got hit. And yeah, you, every now and then you go catch that, come down with it, and get hit, and turn that ball over uh, if you're too predictable. And this, this go-round, as long as that offensive line stays healthy, as long as... Uh, I, of course, would love to continue to see Marlon Mack uh, assert himself as RB1, a top five running back in the NFL. Um, I think this is a week where he could have a big week uh, because the defense uh, is pretty soft against the run. But on paper, so have the Colts. So, again, like I said, this is one of those matchups, the young Jacobs versus, versus the elder Mack. Uh, and who who can tote the rock uh, when it matters because the Raiders are going to run the ball. The Colts are probably just going to run it a little better and have so far. The data says so. Um, So, yeah, really, uh, I'm pleasantly surprised, not surprised at all, right? So it's like when you're you're right, you get to revel in it, right? When you're wrong, you just got to admit you're wrong, man. Um, So, yeah. So far, uh, it's been a just a breath of fresh air, right? After the letdown, after Andrew Luck decides to call it quits, uh, and then to go into uh, to Los Angeles, uh, to Carson, California, and take the Chargers, who I have as one of the best teams in the AFC. Still. To take them to overtime in week one and then win back-to-back games. And they and we don't even have to talk about them being decidedly, right? Like, they just won back-to-back games. Wins are hard to get in the NFL. And then they come home and kind of get a gift opportunity. Uh, so I think either you're going to see a healthy dose of Marlon Mack and a, quite a bit of success out of him because he's one of the best running backs in the NFL and the Raiders soft against the run. Or you're going to see the Colts spread the ball out a lot more. Uh, I'd like to see some more out of Paris Campbell. It feels like every time that kid touches the football, it's almost like lightning's about to strike, right? Uh, Almost took one to the house. Uh, His first return, 31 yards, and basically the guy hit him on a shoelace, uh, just barely caught his foot and and took him down, kept him uh, from taking one to the house. But also had, like, some productive touches, right? I think he had, like, three three touches for, like, 40 yards or roughly. I um, could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. But I want to say, like, three for 39 or something like that. I'm not one of those people to sit here and look at statistics while I'm talking to you. Try to do it all off the top, right? But really, outside, you know, I expect to see the, the tight ends incorporated more into the Colts offense because of... Uh, seven catches on eight targets. They're always open. You know that's the thing. The thing about uh, Jacoby Brissett being so real, right, is that he tells you in interviews, "Hey, man, I'm just throwing it to the open player, right? Like on that Pascal touchdown, I'm just throwing to the open guy, right? The every team in the NFL runs that little that little swing screen to the running back." And the Colts took it to the next level, and they added in, "Let's pump that screen." run um like two receivers on the same side and just you know one runs a post and one runs a fade and what happens zach pascal is literally wide open walks into the end zone for touchdown um so yeah i i would either look i mean you can have it all right if we can have it all then we're having our cake and eating it too right so i would say the two there are two probable outcomes colts win colts lose i absolutely think the colts win at home then offensively there are Three outcomes. We get it all, or Marlon Mack has a really big day, 
and that's why the Colts win is because they just maintain possession of the football. They score touchdowns on their drives into the red zone. The Colts have been really good on third down and in the red zone on offense. Credit the offensive line, the play calling, um, Jacoby Brissett's play, his accuracy, his uh, checking it down, knowing when to do what. Um, and, you know, of course, the Colts, unlike the Browns, don't call a draw on fourth and nine. Uh, they do uh, things that you would consider smart football. And so, really, the Colts should be should be 3-0 if not for uh, the most trusted weapon, the, hi- the highest-scoring uh, kicker in, uh, or highest-scoring player in NFL history, right? He leads the NFL in all-time scoring, uh, has a hiccup to start the 2019 season, bangs home the first one off the upright. I immediately tweeted at the Colts like, hey, somebody asked Vinny if he did that on purpose just to get the crowd a little jostled. Uh, but then was otherwise perfect on the day. I expect he'll be perfect. One of the things I did note when I was doing my little research, because I had to do the podcast by myself today, is that uh, I think this is the game that Paris Campbell gets a touchdown. One way or the other, I have a feeling it's a special teams play. Um, because I looked, I was looking on... Um, what is this website called? I look at it all the time. Pro Football Reference. Okay? And all I look at is data. I'm not trying to skew any stories. Um, but if I remember correctly, the Raiders are something like 24th in the NFL uh, in punt. In like punt distance. And anytime you short kick a punt, that's better for the defender. It's all about hang time like how long the ball is in the air before the defense gets it and like think about it like pat mcafee was notorious for this for just hitting balls at like insanely high the ball was in the air for like 11 seconds by then everyone knows everyone's standing on top of the the returner right and so i'm just putting this out there into the ether when i was doing a little bit of research and i was pushing the sort button on like every column <laughs> I noticed that the Raiders were like, I think they're like 24th in uh, overall average punt distance. And I just think that that means that what's going to end up happening if the Colts can put themselves in a good position. It's a very un... You're talk, it's almost like talking about like chemistry. It's like I'm talking about a, a unstable isotope. Uh, basically what I'm getting at is that if there's a proclivity of a punting unit to kick a punt short this is the week Paris Campbell gets a touchdown because we're going to need one right you, you always need one but he hasn't he's been close enough this is a gift week I feel like the Colts defense I don't feel like the numbers always do you justice sometimes the numbers are right on like 99.9% of the time the numbers are right on uh, and the numbers are what they are but the Colts have played three good opponents in their first three weeks, so I feel like they're playing up, right? They're they're being tested and succeeding, right? The Colts have been phenomenal on third down on defense, and it's all scheme. It's all putting your opponent in plus what are called plus situations, which is third and anything more than ten, whether that's a penalty, uh, whether that's a sack, a tackle for a loss. All those plays are like really important. So every time you see a tackle behind the line of scrimmage, a sack, every time you see a batted pass, a dropped pass, an errant pass, you just think about that affects the overall outcome of the game. But it comes down to me being able to look at the math and tell you that of all the weeks so far, this is the Colts. This is the worst offense the Colts have faced the worst defense the Colts have faced, and the worst special teams unit the Colts have faced, other than themselves. Uh, no thanks to Vinny. Har, har. Um, so that said, of course, I always project the Colts to get a big win because I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to the Colts. No, seriously, I just think they're going to win. Um, and then as far as one thing I'll say here at the end, I have been creating... Uh, a betting segment because it you know most of the stampy blue listeners are from indiana i don't know if anybody told you that 
but about 70% of the site visitors that have registered for profiles are basically from Indiana. The Indianapolis area, almost 90% of Stampede Blue uh, listeners, readers, watchers, whatever you want to call them, members, members of our community, we love you. Um, almost all of them are in Indianapolis, and almost all of them are in the 24 to 40 kind of range, or 21, is it 21 to 35 or something like that? Uh, I guess I'm out of range. Um, but I felt as, you know, I'm 36, I live on the east side of Indianapolis, I love football, I watch football all the time, I refuse to bet on college sports because them kids don't get paid, uh, and I don't bet on unpaid labor. Uh, and until they do, I don't bet on it. Um, but when it comes to the NFL, I like numbers, right? I play fantasy football. I'm not having a great year in fantasy. I am having a good year in daily fantasy. Uh, I've cashed all three weeks. I've played three uh, $5 events on DraftKings, and I've hit cash every week. It hasn't been great. I think the most I won is like 30 40 bucks. Um and then we started to do a, we're doing a betting segment on the NFL. And I guess this is a roundabout way to plug my segment, but that's how I wanted to close it out because not everybody listens to the whole podcast, right? Basically, the Colts are a seven point favorite at home. And if I were betting on the Colts, and I'm not recommending you betting, this isn't recommend, this is not betting advice. I'm just saying I would not take the Colts in six and a half points at home. I would probably just take the Colts straight up um, because uh, when you bet, you always want to take points when you're betting on the underdog, and you always want to take a team just to win straight up um, if the spread is more than three or four points. Um, so that's just a little note that I've picked up so far in betting is uh, you don't if you know someone's going to win and there's a big spread, you don't have to take them with the spread. You could just take them to win straight up. You probably you always got to think about what odds you're getting. But again, let this serve as a warning. We won our first parlay. So we're going to bet parlays every week on my uh, Jared Betts, the NFL segment. We won week one. We picked five teams on the road against the spread uh, and won, right? Um, our $50 won us $1,274. We didn't win week two. We went uh, three for five, and then we went three for five last week. And what I did was purposefully change up my betting style entirely. Um, I didn't uh, establish any consistency. I was errant. Uh, I, I was too uh, emotional, uh, and that's part of the reason why we shouldn't be gambling is because our brain is telling us not to do what we do in every other facet of our life. So if you know me or you've been around me long enough, you know that largely your opinions don't mean a lot when there's data on the contrary, right? When it comes to gambling, I want to serve as a stern warning, don't gamble. But you're going to do it anyway. So I have to give you what I feel like is, I wouldn't call it necessarily like fatherly advice, but it's just like good advice. It's like, hey, just because there's a big spread doesn't mean you have to take the favorite and the big spread. You could just take them straight up. Being right, right, like taking them to win and winning is better than losing and taking a big spread. And I made that mistake last week. I bet Dallas and New England to cover big spreads and it they didn't work out. One, one for two, right? Uh, Miami in full-on tank mode. Um, but that said, uh, be careful when you're betting. Don't bet with your rent money. Um, again, this isn't gambling advice. I'm just trying to talk to you in a language that we all understand. The Colts are uh, a favorite to win at home. Uh, I've seen seven and six and a half points, uh, respectively, in terms of uh, how much they're favored to win by, which is a good thing. If you're a Colts fan and you're favored to win by seven, it means you're supposed to win by three or more, uh, which is a, which is exactly where we want to be. Uh, you want to be the favorite and you want to take care of business at home. Uh, you should you want you want to aim. You know the the idea is to go undefeated at home. That's eight wins every year. 
and then you only got to win a few on the road. And I did some research, and I just wanted to share with you too. Uh, and this isn't necessarily like a gambling thing. This is just football. Um, in week one, seven road teams won. In week two, nine road teams won. And in week three, seven road teams win. And that's seven of 16, nine of 16, seven of 16. So on average, the home team wins. More often than not. And... That lends itself to, again to our us saying like the home. There's some such thing as a home field advantage. You get points for being the home team, and the Colts are better statistically all around. So they should win by every stretch of the imagination. We hope nothing but health and wealth for all of you. Uh, this has been Jared with Stampede Blue. This has been your Indianapolis Colts post game wrap. Have a great week, everyone. Go Colts! Here we are, three and one, baby. First quarter. Um, Man, feel good. feels good to be a Colts fan.